Good, good, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Revelation Hour. Welcome to a new show, a new episode, another week. Good morning, Mars. How are you doing? You okay? I'm good, thank you. Good. How are you? Very good. Very good indeed. Thank You're in you the mood this morning, isn't it? Me? No. Are you sure? Not at all. Good, good. And behave yourself. Yes, I will. That's I good. That's good. Well, well I don't know whether I can promise. I'm uh, <laughs> gonna have to try. I'm gonna have to try. Uh, you know, I put my serious first this morning. Uh, it's a bit too serious this morning. Is guys. it? It's a bit too serious this morning. Honestly, not like unlike Jean-Marc. Unlike Jean-Marc. Really. Uh, so it's it's quite interesting. It must be all the, the things he's been discovering about Europe. Mm. Mm, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, what why don't we pray? Why don't we open up in prayer and uh, invite the Lord? Mm. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you're in the midst of us. So, Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you will reveal more and more of your truths as we look into this topic of Europe, of the EU, and that you will reveal more of your plans because we know that you are the author and the finisher. You are the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So we continue to look to you Irregardless of what is taking place around us, irregardless of what man's plans are, we know that it is your purpose that will prevail. So, Father, we commit this time into your hands and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Um, good morning. Somebody online, there's a few people online as well. Say hi. So we say hi as well. I hope you enjoy this topic this morning we're gonna be covering and a very interesting one and before we do that um, just want to remind our listeners um, that you can actually contact us on our facebook page um, twitter as well you can send tweet if you want to or whatsapp we're on whatsapp if you want to access us on whatsapp as well and um i think we also got a website i keep forgetting and i'm gonna get it right this time www.revelationhour.co.uk so you can access our podcast she's taking the mic mouse next to me she's really because i keep saying 4w so now she's just um say free yeah she's showing me oh i said two sometimes here we go but uh, she's uh yeah she's in that mood today so I'm going to be in trouble. Anyway, so just to remind you guys that you can access our website um, anytime as well. We've got our latest podcast. So last week we covered um, what was happening, what's now in 2021. So those, this podcast is now available. So if you want to access it, you can access it as well in that sense. But most of our podcasts will be on our website. And also, we will be releasing a new documentary on our website as well. And we will let you know probably over the next week or so uh, in that sense. It's a quite interesting one uh, for those who would like to understand more about vaccine and, and some other things. So there will be a documentary dedicated to it. I think this is it. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention, Mars, before we go through the news? No, not at all. I think we've got a lot to cover this morning. We've got a lot so. to cover, as I said. So we're really going to brush those news very, very quickly. We're not going to spend too much time on it. And so we can actually begin to, to deal with our, our next uh, subject as well. So looking at those news here, um, is there anything in particular um, 
that just call your your attention in in that sense. Would you like to scroll? Um, yeah, I can try to scroll. Um, there's not much going on this week. I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, obviously, you need to hear Donald Trump because he always have to say something. He always something to say as well, even when he's not around. Um, Scotland's second most senior politician answered a difficult question about a Christian a Christian faith. Mm, Brian Houston to plead not guilty to concealing his father child abuse. This done the news as well. He only known the done the Christian news, but he also done the uh, uh, secular news as well about this uh, this Christian uh, suing NHS Trust over cross necklace. That's interesting. That's um, yeah, that's probably the only one that we'll be looking at um, this morning. Um, so she's basically, as a London ancestor, she's for discrimination. She's suing them for discrimination because she claimed that administrators bullied her into removing or covering up a cross necklace. Very interesting. A Croydon University Hospital, that's where it took place. She says she was treated like a criminal and forced out of the job she loved after working there for 18 years. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. Wow. What's your take on it, love? I think with these things, I think it's a, a, a it's just the times we live in, to be honest. Mm. Um, what you'll probably find is they probably weren't, um, they're probably quite fine with her in the beginning. She's been in the job for 18 years. And then, you know, if you actually take a look at the, just the the spiritual atmosphere has changed, hasn't it, yeah. over the past few years? So mm-hmm. you'll probably find that people are more conscious of these things, want to be more politically correct, and are less tolerant of these things mm. um, in that sense. So, um, yeah, this this, yeah, if you think she's been working in the job for eighteen years, that's you know could possibly have what mm. has evolved. So very very interesting. The the other thing as well, I'm just here looking at Christian TV channel fine twenty five thousand for COVID conspiracy theory theories wow uh, and that's a uk based uh, christian tv network as well um it's called love world which broadcast on satellite television breached the broadcasting code set out by regulator ofcom in two episodes of the current affair program full disclosure in february offer ofcom said presented made a number of unevidence unev- material misleading and potentially harmful statements about the coronavirus pandemic and vaccines very interesting isn't it well, we, we kind of expected it that, you know, if they kind of censoring it on YouTube, what did you think that was going to happen on a normal broadcast in that sense? So, mm. um, it's, 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 um, as you said, it's a, it's a time, you know, sign of the time at the moment. Um, they don't want anything spreading against the, the coronavirus, but especially against vaccine as they're trying to implement vaccine in, in all population at the moment. And they... They um they face with very stiff resistance at the moment, so um you would expect that to happen. I mean, they they they're very bold. They probably knew it was going to happen, but they two episodes, you know, so they they're very bold. But twenty five thousand, let's hope that they got enough money. Otherwise, they may have to shut down as mm, well, and, and that could good. be something that some of the channels may have to look into as well, you know. And it's a, it's the third time the channel has been found to have breach of come. It was fine. Oh wow. Already one hundred and twenty-five thousand pound in March over a bridge, so this is not the first time. Um, Premier contacted Love World, but the station declined to comment. In that sense, very interesting. I think. Uh, think. Do I know the uh, one producers in this channel? I don't know. I might have to go and check, have a look at them, maybe find out. But that's a very, very interesting. Anyway, that was the news 
very quick to that news for this week. Now, we want to apologize, first of all, for the uh, irregularity, ir- irregularity of those um, um, podcasts that we've been doing over the last week. There's been quite a lot going on outside as well, which at times kind of conflicted with us trying to uh, have a live show, but we will try to, to find a, a solution to this. So looking back into our... You know, we know this. The world's been built for the arrival of the Antichrist. And every week or every time that we are meeting, I am going to mention this. So bear with me, guys, uh, you know, again and again. But it's important for us to understand what is taking place. Also important to understand our position as believers, you know, when it regards to uh, 2021, especially when it regards to the kingdom of God, which has to be our focus. And we... Over the last year, a couple of years, we really dwelt or really mentioned those important scriptures. First Peter five eight, the importance of be vigilant, you know, because of what the adversary was Satan was the enemy is doing as well. But also Second Corinthians, you know, two eleven, we speak not to be ignorant. So those are words that we haven't decided just to say for the sake of saying this the scriptures, the Bible scripture, which is really tell us that, you know, we've got to watch, we've got to be watchful, we've got to be watchmen and watchwomen in, in, in that sense. But one of the things that I always try to emphasize, you know, there's one way to be vigilant and not be ignorant of what the enemy is doing. There's also another way to be able to understand the word of God and what the word is saying, especially in this season. And that's from the book of Psalm 119, 130 and 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 17. So those scriptures are very relevant to us and they really just pushed us to look deeper into where we are in 2021. So last week we looked into the current situation, you know, after years kind of, looking back about what's, what's changed, what hasn't changed in 2021, we kind of put a break from where we're looking at the superpowers. Then, But then we decided to continue. And this week, the next superpower that we're going to look after, be looking into China, you know, and, and we understand what, what China's position in. And yes, we haven't gone into the history of China and so on because we didn't felt the relevance for us at that time to be able to look into this for now. We may go back into it later on in some of our future shows but the next superpower that we felt to really look into is europe i mean this is just this is pretty in the continent where we are living most of us are born in this continent you know and most of us know this continent in in that sense but for us i think that was the very very important factor into it when it took into the next four superpower between china the state russia and Europe, we needed definitely to begin to look uh, into Europe in that sense. So, what I've basically decided to do first of all is before going into the gritty things, so we've got probably going to be spending a few weeks and looking into Europe in that sense. I thought it would be quite great to give a little bit of a backdrop, you know, just to give a bit of our history. I know some of our listeners love history in that sense. And it's a very important. You can't talk about Europe until unless you understand where it all started. And what we're talking about Europe, we're talking about the um the European Union in, in, in that sense. So when we're looking back in the first one, you know, it all started pretty much in nineteen forty eight, you know, and that was just on the aftermath of the Second World War. Um 
you know, let's say the nationalism was really not the, the, the flavor in in very large part of the continent. And um, and for that, in the European Union, especially the Federalists, they organized a Congress at the Hague in 1948, and they, the hope was for them to drop a European constitution. So in a nutshell, you have the situation where federalism was growing up, which is federalism, which is the element of, of really collaboration in some nationalism, which is really pretty much the... Uh, um, element of of you know of of a separation and really looking after your own country in that sense so and you would think so because after coming out of the second world war 1940 everything is destroyed and how do you rebuild you know a continent with destroy unite you know and unity for them in their mindset was to be able to bring probably to to bring an element to not having another war as well so 1948 you know if you want to talk about Euro- European Union, you got to start in 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 nineteen forty eight in 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 that sense, and I think it was really looking into establishing a new way, a new government, a new system that would prevent them to go back to war again. So then we go to nineteen forty nine, which is a North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the birth of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is NATO, which most of people know. So. We won't be dwelling into this now unless we have to later on in future show. But the things that we need to understand is the Washington Treaty signed by the U.S., Canada, and 10 Western European states, including Britain, France, the Benelux country, Iceland, Italy, Norway, and Portugal. So they signed this treaty in 1949. And the key feature to the part was, as I said, it was a mutual defense clause. And it was very important in that sense if one country was attacked, the other will come to defend it. So this is what really the, the purpose of, of NATO uh, in, in that sense, the creation of NATO. Um, and that really um, led us this in 1950 as well, uh, the Schumann Declaration, which is signed. So all this figure fact that we're actually putting now, we're discussing now, right now, you can access them everywhere, to be honest. Uh, those are fact, those are history fact in relation to the European Union in that sense. So in 1950, the Schumann Declaration is signed, and that was French Foreign Minister at the time, Robert Schumann, he announced a plan for France and Germany, basically to pull together coal and steel production and invite other states to come and join them. And really, his plan was based on the idea that European unity would be key to peace. And that's what I mentioned before. And that's really something that we need to understand when it comes to Europe. Those who begin the whole process, you know, 1950, we're talking five years just after the Second World War. And Second World War really decimated quite the whole world in that sense. And they wanted peace. Nobody wanted to go back to war again. So they thought about just joining it together you know, they would form that kind of peace. And it's very interesting when you think about it, France and Germany. When Germany occupied France in 1940s during the Second World War, then they begin to unite themselves. So, in 1915, that was a signing treaty. And it's kind of give you a little bit the, 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 the background of the European Union in, in, in that sense. Then, in 1951, um, just going back as well, just um, the Treaty of Paris established the European Coal and Steel Community called the ECSC uh, in that sense. And uh, that was six countries that signed this treaty. 
France, Germany, the Benelux state, and Italy. So that was in 1941. So they, they now established the, the European Court in that sense, which is, again, is the backbone, will be the backbone eventually of the European community. Now, what we have to understand as well is that during this treaty that was set up, they also set up a high authority to manage then the coal and the steel industry and the common assembly precursor and that was a precursor of the european parliament which we will touch on it later on in that sense now the dutch supported they were supported by the german and they also insisting on creating a council of minister and that was made up of minister from member state to basically counterbalance the the supranational high authority in that sense so what we were looking is the early days the embryonic creation of the European Union, you know, best first of all from an economical perspective, but also from a political perspective in terms of bringing and avoiding war uh, in that sense. And then in 1952, um, they begin to work with uh, uh, Jean Monnet. He was the head. That was the first president of the high uh, authority. And he was the inspiration behind the Schumann Declaration. So they begin to work with him in that sense. And what he basically what he was, he was he was th- this this organization, he, he, you know, the ECSC was basically guaranteed the German coal to the French steel industry, and also he would pro- provide kind of fund to upgrade the Belgian and Italian coal mine as well, and uh, and really that's really creating the, the beginning of the, this organization and in the beginning of, of really this, this cooperation. Now, in 1954, going on very quickly in that one, and that was in response to the Korean War, now the USA insisting that Europe must contribute its own defense and that Germany must rearm as well. This is quite interesting when you think about it. You know, the war finished 1945. They decided they don't want that anymore. But then because of the war, the the, the Korean War, you know, they now instructed France and Germany, Europe to begin to to, to basically to recreate an army in that sense, you know. And you gotta understand that steam from this arg- that steam from the signing treaty with NATO in that sense, you know, which now if one country were going to war then the treaty stipulate that other country have to be involved as well in essence. And when you look at today, you still see it. You know, when uh, um, United States went to war against uh, Iraq uh, in, uh, in the aftermath of the two thousand, um, the the two thousand, the twin towers. You know, the the attack. You know, most of the European, most of the countries that follow the, the state as well in this, in, in you know, in, in Iraq as well, in that sense. So you've got this kind of cooperation that's always worked since the end of the war to kind of prevent, in a way, big country going against each other, you know, which is quite interesting because when you experience big country going against each other, it's chaos in a way. So they rather just unite and go against the smaller countries, which is uh, easy to defeat and not create too much of a problem. Than just uh, really. So those alliances that we've seen since the 1940s, they're still up to there, and, but they, they're different shape now in that sense. So it's just a going thing. And then when we look back to the next date, um, which um, put it in 1957, the sixth member of the... ECAC, they signed the Treaty of Rome, and that is really why we're actually looking at the setting up of the European Community, which at the time was called the EEC, which is an you know European Economic Community. So, 
that was the beginning of the, the, the European Union, but at the time it was called the Euro European Economic Community. And, uh, and obviously the European Atomic Energy Community, Euratom as well. So the aim was for them to create the common market that we are, we've been talking about it a lot, especially during the Brexit situation, a custom union plus free movement of capital and labor. So which means that among those countries, they will basically have this, this, this free movement in terms of how capital goes from one country to the country and how labor, and we're only talking about labor here. So if you were to go to work in one of those countries, part of the EEC, then you won't have any problem. They won't have too much restriction in that sense. Very important to understand this, this element of Europe. 1952, um, sorry, 1958, the EEC tech of dominating the other European community. And as we say, what it means, they work very quickly to establish um, as the most important European community. Interestingly, you know, in 1960, this is what happened. In 1960, the um there is um the nineteen sixty was taking place very strange EFTA is launched and that's another kind of Europe and it's basically it was an alternative to the EEC you know and that's really when Austria Denmark Norway Portugal Switzerland Sweden and the UK they set up this as a free trade basically that's what it is and like the EEC. The aim was to establish free trade, but what they were against, they were against the external tariff and they were seeing no need for institution to govern the whole system. And when you think about it, you know, just jumping ahead, why did they come, why did UK come out of Brexit? What was one of the main arguments that they were talking about? They didn't want to be regulated by Europe. The regulation. So, you know, this is not a new thing with England. They've always been in and out, basically, of EU. They've never really been part of it. And as you find out as well, the interesting thing is that um, when you look at it, in, 19, in 1961, for example, they decided to apply for the membership to be part of the EEC. So UK decided to apply. However, Charles de Gaulle, at the time, which was um, a, you know, part of the EEC as well, didn't believe that England was committed to it. So he vetoed, he vetoed UK to enter the EEC. And that was uh, in 1963, um, you know, he vetoed it. You know, he, he, he didn't want, he was, he was, he refused to back UK application to the EEC because he didn't trust them. He didn't believe they were committed. But when you think about it now. Look at what's going on between France and England again. Exactly. But, you know, France and England has always had, you it's know, for what, I, for what I remember from the from a history lesson in, in Paris in France when I was, you know, in school, you know, they, they've got a 100 years war, you know, when you call it Jean d'Arc, is that what you call it? Jean d'Arc. Yeah, we call it Jean d'Arc. Yeah. And, and it's, been, it's been going on for centuries. France and England war has been going on for centuries. And, uh, Right, it looks like it's mean more political and diplomatic. But uh, going back to him, as I said, 1963, he you know he vetoed it. 1967, the treaty, um, they created a single council and a commission for the free community that come into effect. So those one of the dates we need to remember here. And then just going back very quickly. In 1968, the UN Community Custom Union is completed. In 1973, Britain 
Denmark and Ireland joined the European community. So 1974, I think by the time Charlotte was was dead anyway, so it was pretty much easy in that sense. But just to let you know. So um, as I said, 10 years ago, they failed to join it because of General de Gaulle veto, as I said. Um, this time, they all signed an accession treaty in 1972, but Norwegian rejected in a referendum later in that year. Denmark and Ireland all successful referendum. The UK does not hold a referendum until 1975. And after renegotiating in century term, the result a two tones in favor. So they, they, they joined the finally in 1979. The euro to the euros began with the EMS, not the European monetary system called EMS as well, they introduced a European currency with EU and the exchange rate mechanism as well. So this is where they're beginning now to work into created what most Europeans know as the Euro uh, in, in that sense as well. In 1981, Greece became the uh, the, um, the 10 nation, the 10 members to enter um, the, the EEC in that sense. 84, the UK win its budget rebate. In 1985, Jacques Delors become president of the European Commission. So those are debts that you can find anywhere in, in that sense. In 1986, Portugal and Spain join the EC and the European flag is unveiled. Very interesting. Now, the European flag, we will look into this over the next few weeks, you know, the, the, the spiritual and, and a satanic, you know, behind it but not today in that sense but in, it's very important to understand that the single 1987 the single uh, European Act entered into force 1988 regional aid is double 1990 Britain entered the ERM very interesting 1991 this is a very very important day the Maastricht Treaty on European Union is signed in December and that basically that paves a way for monetary union and include a chapter on social policy now the UK they negotiated to opt out on both of them and this is why up to, to you know obviously we can't say up to today but when they were part of the EU the pound wasn't part of the euro in that one. And I remember in France, when they were voting into this, that was a real, real, real issue in that sense. You know, some, when switching from the, the, the franc to, to the euro, it was a major, measure, And it was very, it, the margin of acceptance, this was very, very fine. It was very fine. So not every country really were keen. They were quite happy for them to collaborate and do things together but then when it start touching the money side of it and just having one currency for all europe then that was a big 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 problem so this is a thing that we need to understand so that was happening so european the right to live and vote in an election in any eu country and launch the european cooperation in foreign affairs security as in immigration that was in 1991 so that treaty maastricht was a major 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 treaty when it comes to this in 1993, the Treaty on European Union come into effect and eventually become the European Union as we know it today, not the European Community. In 1995, all the borders begin to come down as a result of the Schengen Pact. That is a very, very important pact as well because this pact basically, what it did in that sense, it basically it allowed now the 
people to go and move from country mm. to country, you know, without any restriction in that sense. As a matter of fact, it started, you know, when we look at it, France, Germany, Portugal, Spain, and the Benelux country, they were the first one to drop the borders control, except um, the external border. And that was followed later by Austria, by Italy, Denmark, Finland, Sweden, and Greece, but not the UK and Ireland. You know, again, you know, we've got this pattern with UK, you know, people talking about Brexit, but it's, you can never really feel integrated into Europe, you know, regardless of what people have been saying. And you got to understand the history, you know. So when you look at the Brexit, you're thinking, oh, this and that. But it's because, you know, UK as a history are not really fully integrated to the ideology, the full ideology of Europe in us. And they wanted to integrate in part of it. And this is why even when they were negotiating the exit, they were just trying to pick and choose what they wanted, what they didn't, in that sense. So that's things that we need to understand. And uh, it said Austria, Finland, and Sweden joined the EU at the start of 1995, taking membership to 15 countries. Norway would have joined if voters are not rejecting a move in a second referendum. Interesting, this. 1997, we've got the Amsterdam Treaty, which is signed. And the treaty start to get the EU ready for the expansion, the Côte eastward expansion. As more national veto are abolished, law on employment and discrimination are strengthened, and the social chapter of Maastricht Treaty become an official part of EU law. The changing agreement also become law through Ireland and the UK maintain the opt-out. This gives the EU more say on immigration and asylum and those things are also important because when you understand the um crisis that has been taking place in that sense and you trying to see what is so many asylum in europe and why this country doesn't do anything about it because they are bound by those treaty in that sense and that again created another problem 1998 we see the first big step towards enlargement so that's uh, we're talking about Cyprus, Republic Czech, Estonia, Hungary, Poland, and Slovenia. And a year later, another group of countries get its foot into Europe door as the EU open membership talk with Romania, Slovakia, Latvia, Lithuania, Bulgaria, and Malta. You know, So those are dates that I'm just to really know and some of the dates that we need to understand as well. In 2002, national currencies replaced by euros, night and coins. So that again, measure, measure that. 2004, the EU enlarged a new constitution and signed. And in and 2006, Turkey EU bid stalled. So they were trying to entering. And in 2007, new candidate, Romania, Bulgaria, become member state on the 1st of January 2007. And privately, many European politicians question whether they are ready but harsh penalties are threatened if the country fails to continue making progress in curbing organized crime and corruption, ensuring food safety and a proper use of EU funds. So, really, it just got to give you a bit of a of a notch, so that the kind of the, the the backdrop history uh, of of Europe in that sense from its starting point in 1914 up to today. I mean, we know today uh, there are 27 countries now because obviously. Uh, England now since Jan first January two thousand twenty one England United Kingdom I shouldn't say England United Kingdom is not part of the EU anymore, but uh, interesting isn't it to see that UK has the long history of opt out coming in you know not really 
into into this uh, ideology as well and they may i believe there is a spiritual um, reason for this as well and in a way it may work well in the long term for europe so in terms of the structure you know to understand you know we know european union is economic political union 27 european member states since 2021 now you know because england united kingdom is not part of it um it's got a single internet market for a system of laws and that applies to every members with a population of around 510 million it's one of the largest consumer it's actually the largest consumer market in the world and this is why those negotiations between the united kingdom and you took so long because to come out of europe when you look from an economical perspective it can be quite daunting, and we actually actually seeing now the effect of the Brexit in the United Kingdom. Now you got to be fair in this situation. None of the Brexiters said that it was going to be an easy ride at the beginning. They mentioned that there will be bumpy road on the way, and they knew why because of the as we look at the market and we look the importance of this. And to be honest, when you think about it, there's power unity, you know. The scripture really speak is better to be two than one, isn't it? So when you think about Europe as a force, a measure of force together, and an United Kingdom, now they're on their own, so they're going to find their own trade. It's always go- it was always going to be a bumpy ride in our sense. That's what's going to be expected. So what probably the question mark will be how in the next three, four, five years, how England or United Kingdom will recover from it. Question that we are going to ask as well. Is Scotland's going to have their independence, and because they they never wanted to leave Europe in that sense. Ireland as well. Ireland as well. Well, Ireland is it one island is still part of EU, mm. you know, and this is why there is a problem with the the border, the custom between in in nineteen kilometer Ireland, because part of Ireland, you know, um, Irish, you know, is part of EU, and it's, you know the the United Kingdom, which is made of um, Scotland, Wales. Uh, England and part of Ireland mm. they're out of EU but the other side of Ireland is in EU so now how do you deal with goods and, and, and so on in terms of of, of custom and in terms of, of borders because of the lack of free movement now so those are things that obviously we leave it for the politician to discuss it but those are the things that really affected and I think that when you look at it you begin to understand how difficult it was for Theresa May to actually try to draft the proposal that will actually will please everyone, it's every party. It's impossible. It's actually impossible. So, this is one of the things we're looking at. But what we have to understand is the EU has four key institutions which together they run the union. We have the European Parliament, European Commission, the Court of Justice, and the Council of European Union. So, those main ones, there's other there's other key institutions now, but those are the four main key institutions that's basically together they run the union. The first one is the European Commission, which is the European Union politically independent and executive arm. And their responsibility is basically they drawing a proposal for new legislation. So those are what they're doing. So they are the one, they they are the lawmaking bodies. They consist of lawmakers who EU voters elect directly every five years, and that's from every membership. And together with the Council of the EU, the European Parliament passes EU laws. And that's what they do. They send proposals to the Parliament. The Parliament then debate them 
and then they decide whether this proposal become low or not. Very important. And they, what they do, the European Parliament, the other one is that the Parliament, the European Parliament, the European Parliament, what they do, they decide on international agreement and the enlargement, you know, the expansion of other countries maybe joining in and so on. So with the Council, they establish the EU budget. So when you got such a massive organization, it's got to be way around in that sense. And those are the two ones. The next two are this, the Court of Justice of the European Union. And they, those ones, they make sure that every EU country understand the EU law. That's basically what they do. Understand the EU laws in the same way. And they also make sure that they apply the law in the same way as well. That's what they do. That's what they do, basically. The Council of the European Union, they're the voice of the government of EU member state. So they adopt new laws and policies of the EU. So that's what they do. They've been around since 1958. And they government ministers from each EU member state and that's what they do, in that sense. And each EU member state hold the presidency on a six-month rotating basis. So where are they located? Two places. One is Brussels, as you can see here. I'll be talking about this building and another topic as well, which is just to give you a bit of uh, something to, to, to meditate on. Is this building is a reference to the Babel of Tower, but we'll be lo we'll Tower be talking near yeah, Tower Babel. We'll be talking about it later on, maybe next week at some stage. Two locations: Brussels and Strasbourg. Those are the main locations. The headquarters pretty much in, in in Brussels, but they had head offices in Strasbourg, and then obviously they got head offices in other part of Europe as well. But those would be the two main locations where we're talking about uh, where they are uh, located in that sense. Now. This is very interesting because this is we leading up later on to, to, to the understanding of one of the prophecies in relation to, to Europe in essence. The breakup. Why did I mention the breakup? Because over the last few years, I would say probably since 2009, Europe has gone through a lot, a lot, a lot of issues here. One of the main issues is Brexit, you know. And that was in 2016... We know that they voted it to come out 2021, 1st January 2021. You know, they were officially out of EU. Now, that is a very, very, that, I think that was something that was very painful for Europe. Um, I don't know so much whether it was very painful for, for the United Kingdom. Um, maybe, for obviously, from an economical perspective, United Kingdom is feeling it. But it's more to do with. You know, you gotta understand those guys are very proud of what they, they they are doing. You know, you know, Winston Churchill was saying quite interestingly in one of his quotes that we need to create a super state like the state, like the United States. So the, the the idea of creating this 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 block that will actually dominate the whole world, and this is what we're talking about superpower. That is the idea behind it. They want to dominate economically. They want to dominate sociologically. In terms of they want to dominate in every aspect. That's what they want. That's what they want to do. Now, when England, United Kingdom, I keep saying England, when the United Kingdom decided to come out of Europe, that was a real problem. The real problem for many reasons. Because if one country was able to come out of Europe, 
what impact Brexit will have on other countries. You know, Italy, they will call of Italy um, thinking about coming out. Even France at some stage were thinking about coming out. And not long that, two days ago, I just read an article, they're talking about Poland exit, which is Poland's thinking about coming out as well. But now they, they, they strengthened the, the structure in a such a way that now a country won't be able to come out like EU, like uh, United Kingdom did. But if more countries decided to come out of it, it will shatter the ideology. It will shatter the structure of the EU as well. So that is a really, really a problem here. This one is a major one. The, um, the, um, the crisis, the ASEAN crisis. Because of the free movement, you know, because of the free movement established, this is why Europe is very, very proud of this free movement, you know. You know, here you can move from country to country. And because of the policy in terms of, of, uh, of immigration, you know, when the, 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 the Syrian immigration hit Europe in 2015, which we all remember in that sense, you know, it had a major, major repercussion, you know, on, on all Europe. As a matter of fact, I think it prominently, um, you know, increased, accelerated the rise of extremism in Europe because the refugees suddenly they were coming and because the EU law was said that we ne they needed to accept it, which means that no country could say, I don't want them. So they have to have them. But there was such an increase of this immigration. And, and you know, immigration always brings different way of living, different culture, different understanding. And that's created a real problem in Europe, in essence. And I would say, pretty much, it's also, also probably one of the reasons that you could say, we're out. <laughs> you know, when they saw that crisis coming in, they said, we need to come out. Because they, obviously, they didn't want to be inflected with, okay, you got to take X amount of people in a country. Because that's what they will do. Those guys are coming. They don't know where to go. We created this. That's Syria. Well, we created this, so we need to, we need to house them. But thinking about people, the politician we say we need to house them, but the people say I don't want him in my house. So that immigration system has really created a real problem, and that was because of the policies that Europe established in this free movement. And that was a strength, a real strength. You saw in Germany, you saw in many, many places how strengthful it was. You know, they were coming, they were coming, they were coming, and you couldn't shut your borders as well in that sense because of the policy that were established at the time within Europe. So that was a way that could actually accelerate the breakup of Europe as well. Ukraine. We know about Ukraine. We know about the Ukraine, and I don't want to talk too much about Ukraine, but we know that Ukraine is basically the jewel of, of Russia in, in that sense. You know, from a political, economical uh, perspective, and this is what Russia does. You know, Ukraine has been independent for decades and has been trying to come out of Russia independence because they're trying to basically get the, the influence more from the Western countries, you know, from Europe and then from, from, from NATO in that sense. And Russia will not have any. So again, that is creating another strain in Europe because of the tension that has been taking place here. I mean, they say that Russia seizure of Crimea was the first time since World War II that a European state annexed the territory of another. You never saw that in the Second World War. So that was a major, major problem into this. And we've seen, you know, over thousands and thousands of people 
died and that was the bloodiest in Europe since the Balkan War in the 1990s. So really, truly, that is Ukraine is a real problem because Russia is not going to let it go easily. And Europe and, 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 and the independents from Ukraine, they want to be part of Europe. They want to be part of this organization and they want to be part of NATO. But Russia don't. The European debt crisis. Remember, Greece closing the banks, Spain, I mean Italy. That is still, since 2009, it's still not resolved. They're not really talking too much about it, but it's still not resolved. And that economically is a real problem, a real, real issue. And really, it, it was, you know, it's crazy, the Eurozone crisis. And that was taking place in the European Union. And Greece, Portugal, Ireland, Spain, Spice, they were unable basically to repay or refinance the government debt. And that was due to the fact that foreign capital, foreign money that was coming into those countries stopped coming. Because they were basically making money from tourism, making money from foreign capitals. But they were not receiving foreign capitals because of the 2008 crisis. And I just prepared those nations to really create and cripple the economy of Europe. And so is a problem. When you got many countries, every country has to be on the same level. If one country or two countries are not on the same level, then it crippled the whole system. And that was a problem. And then we had COVID. Over the last two years, you know, we have COVID. COVID affected Europe as well. Not only the state, but also Europe in that sense. Because of you know, of its impact. And we know from the lockdown, from the economy shutting down and, and so on. So it kind of asked this question, a very interesting question, whether we're actually seeing the breakup of Europe. Now, the interesting thing is, how are we getting closer to Daniel's prophecy based on what we're seeing? You know, the book of Daniel 2 is, is fantastic. You know, if you read the scripture, it's a fantastic one, verse 21. So, Marcy, if you want mm. to read it, in that sense. He says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and of cl- partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 26. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. 
Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Amen. This is very important, and I think that I could not come to speak about Daniel uh, chapter 2 without giving you an understanding of the European Union as well. And next week we will look into the, the, the bit of a deeper meaning uh, of this as well. Very important. Now, we looked into, over the last 30-40 minutes, we established where the European Union all started, who they are, where they are based and what they're facing this 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 breakup and the reason i put the breakup is very important because many people believe um that daniel uh, chapter 2 is a reference to some of the kingdom that's going the last kingdom will be taking place in the end times that will become this into me so we need to understand this the first thing that we need to understand is this you know Daniel prophecy in chapter 2 is a very, very detailed, accurate prophecy from God. That is the first thing that I'm going to mention. It. It's a very detailed and accurate prophecy from God. You know, And all when you look at that prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, all of those prophecies already took place except the last one, which is talking about the iron and clay. But the four previous part of it already took place in our history. Very, very important. So I can't stress enough. And I know sometimes people say, but why we didn't talk about it before? You, you got to lay the picture and understand it before you begin to get into the detail. And and what we're seeing at the moment, we're seeing Europe, which is breaking in that sense because of the stress that's going through. We talked about the Euro uh, the Euro crisis. We talked about the the, uh, the asylum and immigration crisis. We talked about Ukraine. We talked about COVID. And we talked uh, about the Brexit those aspects are really weakening Europe. And I was mentioning, when we're talking about the full superpower, I was mentioning that Europe is like a baby at the moment. They're still in the baby embryonic stage because the ideology has been there for centuries. And we'll look at next week, they'll be there for centuries. It's been put into place since 1948, which when you think about it, is at the same time that Israel also was created. This is another thing the Holy Spirit is giving me now. You know, the correlation between this day, 1948, with the creation of Israel, and then the ideology of beginning to set up Europe. And you will find out in later on, as I beginning to we begin to diverge into this, the importance, the correlation, the relationship between Europe 
and Israel as well and how the Antichrist will play such a big part when it comes to end time prophecies in essence. So going back to Daniel chapter 2, we got to understand that accurate description, historical fact um, Daniel received well before before time and we've seen everything and that's come from God. Mm. So that's what we need to understand. The, The picture is this, you know, Daniel gave the detail of the four world kingdom of the Gentile from the time of Daniel until the time that God set up his kingdom on earth. Very important. We're talking about the Babylonian Empire. We're talking about the Middle Persian Empire. We're talking about Macedonian Empire. And we're talking about the Roman Empire. So as you look on the screen, you know, very, very quickly. And while we look at it, when we're in 2021, the history of those world power has already taken place. They already run their course. Sorry, I should move the, the scripture. Here we go. Thank you. They already run the course here. So when we look at it, for example, when it's mentioning the first kingdom, you know, it's mentioned about the, 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 the first kingdom here. You see the statue, you know, Nebuchadnezzar see the statue. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision of the world powers that would be successive one after the other. But he doesn't end up that he also gave him a, a description of what's going to happen in the end times. Daniel and his friends prayed about it because Nebuchadnezzar didn't want people to interpret his dream. They wanted people to know the dream that he had and then to interpret the dream. So Daniel and his friend went to seek out for God's mercy to reveal not only the dream, but also to reveal the interpretation of the dream. Now, so when Daniel come to Nebuchadnezzar, he's not only telling him the interpretation, he's beginning to tell him, this is what you saw. But before he said that, he said, this is what the God of heaven revealed to me. He gives glory to God. He makes sure that God get a full glory about what he's about to say. So Nebuchadnezzar will know that it's not Daniel, the God, but it's a God that he served that revealed to him. So as he's beginning to do his description, he revealed exactly the dream that God has given to Nebuchadnezzar. Then he go on to explain this dream. Why is this dream so important to us in Daniel chapter 2? Because number one, I believe that he revealed the power and the sovereign power of God. Number two, he also revealed what we are going to experience in the end times. And that is very important. So let's let's look at those kingdoms very, very, very quickly, you know, in, in that sense. You know, if we, if you look, um, you know, which is very great from, from Daniel, you know, when he described it, you know, he described this, 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 this kingdom. He said, in the 36, if I go back to the scripture, now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand. And as men, you ruler over them whole. You are this head of gold. The head of gold. So when you go back into it, he is the head of gold. So the first thing that we see is the Babylonian empire, you know, which is Nebuchadnezzar and part in that sense now this kingdom this first kingdom was started from 606 you know before christ 605 606 before christ 
and it lasted until 535 before Christ. And it was an absolute monarchy and it was the most powerful kingdom. This is what it was the head and it was made of gold. Very important. Then he goes on to say here, going back to the scripture again, he said, but after you, he says this, after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. That's what he said. That is the second kingdom that we're talking about. Who is the second kingdom that we're talking about? It's the Media Persian kingdom, which he was, um, he was, it is, um, it, it was kind of double kingdom. It was a kingdom of Media and it was a kingdom of Persia. Persia. And they were a double kingdom, and that's what they were really. And it's quite interesting that there were two kingdoms that were less powerful than the first kingdom in that sense. And that kingdom pretty much ruled in that sense. It started 536, and it ruled until we get to the, uh, the one of bronze here. Then he gets there, he, said, he says this. Then a third kingdom, a kingdom of bronze in that sense, which shall rule over all the earth. Now, the third kingdom that is referring to here is the Greek Empire kingdom, Alexander the Great, you know. That's a kingdom Alexander, from Alexander the Great. Now, that if you read, and I don't want to go back into those history because that's not the purpose today, but if you look into the Greek Empire and the kingdom of Alexander, the way this young man conquered the whole world in, I mean, in speed time, you know, it's unheard of. It's unseen of. It was such a powerful kingdom. Very powerful. Dikas was a military genius. It, it was basically, it, I mean, how can I describe it? You know, they, they say that it was an oligarchy constitution. The power effectively rests with a small number of people. That's what the type of kingdom it was to describe it. And these people, they would be distinguished because they were royalty, they were wealthy, they were family ties, had education, you know, they corporate relation and they have military control. And they were under the leadership of Alexander the Great. And that lasted from 330 all the way to 63 before Christ. By the age of 33 years old, he conquered the whole world. That is crazy. It's unheard of. And obviously, it died very early in that sense. So that's the third kingdom. The fourth kingdom, you know, which is a very important one, this one, because it will lead us to exactly the last kingdom that people believe it is. So in the fourth kingdom, it says this. But after that, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as Haran, in as much as Haran breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like Haran that crushes. This is a fourth kingdom, and that kingdom is reference to the Empire, Roman Empire kingdom. And we know a lot about the Roman Empire kingdom. They were fearless, they were brutal, they were without mercy, and they conquered. They conquered. This kingdom, you know, it's described here, quite interestingly, as two legs. Why has it got two legs? Because this Roman Empire was split into two kingdoms. It was Rome and the Byzantine Empire. 
which is a very interesting. So when we look into Babylon, when we look into all Africa, North Africa, I mean, they control everything in essence. And as I said, they would crush, they would crush whatever they go. And this is what the Bible speaks about. Um, there was no democracy, a very limited democracy. You know, they said that the feet and tools of the image Nebuchadnezzar so were composed partly of potter and partly of iron. And that kingdom was divided. Interesting. But what I want to talk about this, when we're looking at this iron and clay, who are the ten tools Nebuchadnezzar doing? Who is this kingdom? Who is this kingdom at the end times that we've seen it? Now, this is what I put out. Can be ten nations from the European Union. Could be. It could be ten nations from the Mediterranean. It could be ten economic or political world region. We talked about the Club of Rome, for example, with this political region, you know. It could be somebody representation of the papacy. It could be the ten richest men or influencer in the world. But many scholars actually believe that Europe is the last kingdom. That's what they believe. They believe Europe is the last kingdom. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, right now, Europe has about 27 member states. However, what Europe is experiencing at the moment is a change. And this change may culminate in them be reduced to a very smaller numbers of countries. Ten head, ten king, ten oars, ten toes. Many scholars refer this as the revive of the ten nation Roman Empire during the end times. That's what they believe. They believe that during the end time, this last kingdom will be the revived Roman Empire. You know, they say believe that they will form an union of ten nations that will shock the world with its economic and military power. This is what people are believing. Now, today we haven't seen it. As I mentioned it, there's 27 member states at the moment. But we are seeing a progressive, I believe, breakup of the European Union. A change. A transformation. You know, a metamorphosis, I would, would say, of the European Union. What type of European Union are we going to see tomorrow? We don't know. But many scholars believe that that will be it. And from that European Union will the Antichrist rise from that last kingdom of the end times and eventually God will shatter, will break it he will break it he will break that kingdom and he will establish his millennial kingdom in that sense but there's still one more kingdom to come from the prophecy of Daniel we saw four, there's one to come and many believe that where we are here in Europe will be one of these kingdoms now we see England coming out of the United United Kingdom coming out of Europe, you know, which nobody would know, nobody would think five, ten years that, that would ever take place. We saw one country coming out. We are seeing rumors of other countries thinking about stepping out in that sense. And as a matter of fact, Europe is now crippled with debt. But the debt is crippled because of some of the countries such as Greece, Spain, Italy. And it won't surprise me if they decided to get rid of this country because of the debt that's crippled the, 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 the vision that they have in, in, in that sense. Which again poses question, you know, are we now 
in 2021, because of all the crises that we've seen, are we now beginning to see a revived Roman Empire? The last kingdom of Daniel's prophecies. And this is why it was important to paint that picture about Europe. I always see Europe as a very force, but people always see Europe, oh, they're not going to go far. Because they're still at the embryonic stage at the moment. They're still at a stage of transformation. They're still, you know, it's like a baby who's still learning how to walk. That's where they are at the moment in that stage. But what is interesting is the thing that we discuss next week. The concept of a revival and empire. We've got to understand this is not something new. It's dated since Charlemagne. Since the day of Charlemagne, you know, in that sense. That we're talking about thousands, over a thousand years that they've been thinking about this. And the ideology that we're going to be discussing as well is about the Catholic undertone of the EU flag, which is in 1997. What do we have those stars? What do they represent exactly? What is the significance of it? What about the Europa and the Bull symbol and its correlation with Revelation chapter 17? What about the Babel poster with witchcraft symbols. I talked about the, the Tower of Babel, you know, the, the, when we're looking at the building of Europe in, in Strasbourg and, and in Brussels, it is it is almost is is a Tower of Babel which is not finished. So what is the implication? The Lisbon Treaty, which is omitting, for example, reference to God and Christianity, what what what's this representation? The role of the Vatican, you know, what does the Vatican play? When it comes to Europe, yeah, Vatican is a state in itself, but what its role when it comes to Europe? What about the culture, the ancient culture, the godless world kingdom, you know? Pergamon, we talked briefly when we were doing the latest two churches about the Temple of Pergamon, the Satan seat. But that is a very important part of Europe in that sense. So we're going to be touching on that as well. And obviously, we're going to be touching about the emerging EU super state as well as well as dictatorship, democracy, um, polystate. You know, Macron, was it two weeks ago, is now drafting proposal to create a, a military, an EU military, a proper one. I know we know people have talked about it, it's already there. But the one is is is, is drafting now. They, they have planned for Europe. They really have planned for Europe. And one of the things I'm trying to say is that they want Europe to rise. They want Europe to be number one. They see Europe as a Roman Empire, the old Roman Empire, and they want to revive it. They want to revive it. The way Roman Empire had its, its power and its dominance over the whole world, that's what they want. That's what they want. So this is what we'll be touching uh, next week on. Europe is a very big part of what we're going to see over the next five to ten years. And it's important for us to begin to see that and, and then understanding the conflict that we're going to experience between the state, Europe, China and Russia, which I truly believe that they are the four main super state that the Bible has been speaking about. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think when we look at the book of Daniel, it always, you have to just sit, and it's, it's a lot to take and a lot to think about. Mm. Um, and it's a lot through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you know. He's just like continually speaking to us about these things. And for me, I li I've listened and read the book of, of Daniel, especially chapter two, so many times. And each time, 
I get different revelation. I get fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit. So it's just, as we said, just to try and meditate on it before we continue next week, um, because we'll have more discussion next week because we'll go through the rest and we'll be able to have more of a discussion. This is just laying the foundations this week more so. Why don't we pray? Why don't we really invite the Lord to this morning and want to thank the Lord this morning for really speaking to us, Lord, and, mm. and really just kind of showing us a glimpse, you know, of what's going to take place um, in the later days, you know. Father, we just thank you so much for, for just being your sons and daughters. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. Mm. We thank you, Lord, for opening up our, our eyes as well and showing us the, the truth, you know, the truth, really. Yes. We uh we thank you, Father, as we continue to prepare ourselves and, and see the world changing before our eyes, you know. See things shaping up, see your prophecies taking place yes. in that sense, Father. Lord, I pray that during this time, during this season, we continue to remain steadfast and, and really focus on you and you alone. We pray, Lord, that you continue to help us to uh you know have a hear to hear what you're saying to us in this season and and really have, a, have eyes to see what you're showing us in the season and a mind to understand the things of the Spirit. Mm. We pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we, we, we won't slack in preparation, Lord. We mm. pray that we won't slack in anything that we do, but indeed we will continue to, to prepare ourselves, to prepare for what is to come yes. and really help us, Lord, in this season. Help us, Lord, to be united. Lord, I spoke uh, since the beginning of what we were branding Revelation now that we wanted to be a community within a community father help us to begin to 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 begin to create this this community in us and so mm. we can begin to to help each other to prepare each other mm. to see how we can help each other in that sense lord we don't know how the world's going to turn out tomorrow but we do know from the scriptures we do know from your word that this aspect of it that will affect our daily life you know that will affect us as believers in you lord so we pray lord that you would give us the strength lord you would give us the wisdom the revelation and the understanding to be able to fight in a spiritual realm you know as your word say that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the principalities lord so father we pray in the name of jesus as we wrestle in that sense as we fight in the spirit as we seek out for you first lord that you will begin to put in place mm. plan so we can begin to prepare ourselves and we can begin to help others to be prepared as well in the name of our lord jesus christ amen amen, amen. wonderful guys i uh, thank you so much again and again just to remind you um really um just not to forget that we are available on, on facebook we are available on twitter as well you can tweet if you want to you can send us an email at info at revelation hour .co.uk. This podcast will be available again uh, in a few hours for you to, to digest and really meditate on it before we, we really deepen into the spiritual aspect um, of it in, in that sense. But, uh, you know, as, as, as you guys know, this is just, uh, this is just the beginning, but uh, we need to, to really begin to, to be ready and uh, prepare for what's coming out. Okay. So I think we, we're done now, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. You've been quiet. You know, I thought you were going to, uh, to be, be uh, interesting, but you've been very quiet today. Well done. Well done, Marcia. Guys, I thank you very much again for being with us again at revelationhour.co.uk. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week, same place, same time. Ciao, guys. Bye-bye.